welcome to the Twee Couch Guitar Therapy Session where we talk about all things guitar related. My name is Dr. T and I am not a licensed therapist, but I play one on a podcast. Today on the Tweed Couch we're counseling on quality cover bands. Live music is amazing. I remember listening to Van Halen on the radio and thinking, they're good, but wasn't sure what all the fuss was about. Then I saw them live. At that moment, I knew what I was missing out on. It was an important element of the band known as the performance. But big rock concerts are more expensive and difficult to get to nowadays. This is why a quality cover band is a special breed. They focus on musicianship, stage presence, and quality of music to make sure that people are having a great time without the hassle or the expense. But what makes a cover band good? Are they pretty much a living Spotify or jukebox? How do you pick songs? Do the songs have to be exactly like the original? What gear do you need? Should you take requests? How important is stage presence? And tribute bands, are they different? Well, we will discuss this and more on this group therapy session with John on the Tweed Couch. Well, John, thank you so much for being here on the couch to talk about something that I think you're well qualified for, because for a while you were in a cover band, making a living doing a cover band. You've run cover bands. You've done a lot of things. So, John, I love that you're here. I love your voice. Thank you for being on the couch. Dr. T, it is a pleasure as always. It's a new year. It's time to squeeze my butt cheeks back onto this tweed couch. Yes. Although I am excited for the Tolex love seat that I heard you guys have on order now. <laughs> so I'm interested to see how that does in the summer heat down in Texas, if you'll be sticking to the Tolex yeah. or not. Yep. But it is great. It's great to be here. And we get to talk about cover bands. Yes. And, you know, the thing is, is that I was thinking about it. And when it came time to like prepping for this type of a conversation with you, if there is one thing that we learned from the pandemic... It is that live music is something special and cover bands fit in that realm. Because when I think of cover bands, I don't think of purchasing CDs. I don't think of trying to get their t-shirt, although maybe I would if they're that good. But at the same time, I think of them as their showmanship, as their musicianship. So the coolest thing to me about a cover band is that, if you want to see the Eagles, if you want to see 21 Pilots, if you want to see Taylor Swift, then you are going to have to spend over 100 bucks a ticket, plus parking, plus food, plus all the things, and there's really no way that's going to happen. Maybe if you go to a festival, which you are a festival guy, so yeah, maybe if you go to a festival, you can get it for a cheaper price, but really, the best way to do it is a cover band. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I remember your therapy session you had with Nick where you guys were talking about bands that cover songs. So before we dive in, can we just clarify by either your definition or mine, or maybe we'll find somewhere in the middle. Okay. I think of cover bands, and I think of three categories. I think of there's tribute bands. Oh, yes. There's cover bands. Yes. And then there's people who cover people's song, right? Yes. And what you and Nick were talking about was like, bands that covered a song right because i wouldn't think of hendrix as a cover band but he's right. covered music much to the same chagrin of elvis presley would have to be a cover band because i don't think he wrote anything that was famous <laughs> right you know he didn't he didn't write the songs or he just made them popular made them famous okay um, but i would be interested to hear what your definition is of a tribute band versus a cover band because i have one that's fairly cemented in my mind Okay. But what would you say is the difference between a tribute band and a cover band? Okay. So, first of all, if I go by the standard that you had mentioned that they don't necessarily write any of their own songs, then George Strait is also a cover band. Exactly. That's why... I just upset the entire state of Texas. And keep in mind, that's our largest audience. So right now, I have just been abolished and I'm done. That's it. <laughs> so that's not cover bands. That's an artist that yes. plays other people's music. Yes. Right? Okay. Like not a different. cover band. Okay. So when I look at it, so to answer your question, 
Tribute band versus cover band. I think the best way that I can describe what I think of has to do with when I realized there was something called a tribute band. Because I had never heard of it before until I saw a movie with Mark Wahlberg. Yes! And that movie was Rockstar. Yes! <laughs> so you've seen this movie. I love that movie. It is, I do too. It is a. It is one of those, what do they call them? Uh, <laughs> guilty pleasure, right? It's a total guilty pleasure movie. It is. I love how your question, you already had formulated in your mind the exact image, and it was the same one that I had. That's <laughs> so good. And, you know... <laughs> If for those who have not seen that movie, don't watch it with your kids, but definitely go watch it because it is so worth every millisecond of that movie. It really is so good. And while it is an extreme example of a tribute band and, you know, to share what it is, I mean, like the dude literally gets like nipple piercings because the lead singer yeah. who he plays in the tribute band got his nipples pierced, right? Like, I mean, that's the thing. They get the same tattoos yeah. and they wear all the clothes and they do he all the things. He says the exact same lines that they say in the actual show and they go to multiple shows of actual Steel Dragon playing so that they can get their notes on what they're supposed to do. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, because I, I work with a band when they come into our area and they're called Bonfire. Okay. And they're an ACDC tribute band specifically of the Bon Scott era. Oh, that's awesome. They only play ACDC songs from the first half of their catalog when Bon Scott was the lead singer. And that's it. Like, you want them to do anything later, they just don't do it. They only do the Bon Scott tunes. That's fantastic. And they all, I mean, I provide the back line and it's like, you got to have Marshall full stacks and you got to have a 14 inch rack tom and a 16 inch floor tom because that's what the band used, right? Like, it's yeah. got to be a Tama drum kit. It's got to be this look. It's got to be this vibe. Yeah. And that's a tribute band. I mean, I, I give them credit. They work their moves out. They work out what the guys would do. Yep. They say the things that the real band would, have, would say. I even know a guy. There's a Beatles cover band, and I'm, the name's escaping me. It's like Abbey Road or something they used. They oh, used yeah. Band. And he's a right-handed bass player who learned how to play bass left-handed just so he could be the Paul McCartney in the band. Oh, my gosh. I mean, he's not even a left-handed musician. He learned how to play the other way so he could be in this tribute band. <laughs> so he decided to be handicapped in order to be able to do this. You know what? That's inspiring. Instead of calling Barber, he decided <laughs> to learn how to play left-handed so he could be the, the bass player in the band. And that's a tribute band. As opposed to a cover band, which is a band that when you're in a bar, they're playing all other people's music. They're playing the songs that you want to hear. And then this is where it can get into variations, right? Like some do them note for note as they are on the album and some do it their own take on the song. Yeah. Which we can get into later. But but like a, that's a cover band in my mind, as opposed to a tribute band where they're intentionally, they're, they want you to have the experience of seeing the live act, even though, you know, you're not in an arena, you're in a bar watching, you know, Steel Dragon instead of seeing it in an arena with 30,000 people. Right. And I will say that one of the reasons why I appreciate tribute bands is there are certain bands that you cannot see anymore in the entity or in the way in which that band was. Like, for example, that ACDC band that has that Bon Scott era, and they're trying to be that era. And to try and go see like the Beatles. Okay. Well, you can't see the Beatles anymore. Half of them are gone. So that's not really going to be a thing. If you wanted to see Aerosmith, I mean, technically you can still see Aerosmith now, but you're not going to see him kicking yeah. and moving and doing all the things they used to do because they're now in their seventies and eighties. So yeah, I love tribute bands at the same time. I love the variety that I get from a cover band. And I think this probably yeah. is a good segue for us to talk about what makes a great cover band. Like, what are some of your main things? If they have this, oh, yeah. Now that is the makings of a great cover band. So, as you mentioned, I played in a cover band for 10 years, and it was only a four-piece. So it was just two guitars, bass, and drums. And what we focused on was songs that we could perform without having to like play tracks or try to figure other things out. Okay. We didn't have a keyboard player. We didn't have a girl in the band. So right. 
all of that stuff for us was off the table. But I think what makes a cover band is it's all about song selection. And I'll define that within they have songs that they can play and pull off. Okay. And reproduce in a great way as opposed to, hey, as a four-piece band, like we thought it'd be funny to try to play like Hey Ya by Outkast, right? And it didn't, mm-hmm. it didn't work. Like we, we just yeah. couldn't pull it off because we're a bunch of white guys from Wisconsin going, Hey Ya. Hey, yeah, ya. telling anyway, people to shake it like a Polaroid picture. Yeah, it just doesn't work. Yeah. It just doesn't work when you're, you know, four white dudes in Wisconsin. But yeah, telling those um, ladies to be on their baddest behavior. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be your neighbor. But making sure that like we. C- Send me some sugar. I am your neighbor. I don't want to meet your daddy. Shake it like a Polaroid. Want to meet you in my Uh, caddy. All all of a sudden, we sound like the B-52s, you know? Shake Uh, it like a Polaroid picture. Anyway. Tin um, roof. (laughs) Rusted. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Um, We are so white. I'm sorry, people. (laughs) uh, But with that. You know, so I think song selection is crucial, right? You want to play what people want to hear. And and the thing that we kept falling into and having to like our blind spot that we kept having to watch was, man, I really love playing the song Comfortably Numb by Pink Floyd. It's sure. fun. It's this great groove. It's really cool. But if you're in a bar with a bunch of college students, they don't want to hear that, right? Right. So... So play the songs that that your audience wants to hear. Because at the end of the day, we're just here for your entertainment. You don't really want to mess with me tonight. Just, you know, yeah. It's a pink song. <laughs> it's funny because she's singing that song, I'm not here for your entertainment, when that's really the only thing she's there for. As an entertainer, that's your job. Yeah, anyway, seriously. <laughs> uh, all that to say, song selection in the bar and what's appropriate for the crowd, right? Like, we've all seen uh, the Blues Brothers, right? And- they go play the country bar and all that they can play is, you know, Riders on the Storm for for seven hours because that's the only country song they know. Right. Like so Rawhide. song selection for me is the most crucial thing. Yeah, exactly. It's funny that you mentioned that because that is actually the number one thing that I had on my list was that if you're going to have a great cover band, what's going to make them a great cover band is that they can play like the top 40s of whatever genre that they're supposed to do. And the greatest example of that is the blues brothers because they showed up to play blues and the crowd said no. And now what showed that they were an amazing cover band was they just figured something else out and played what the crowd wanted. That makes an amazing, a great cover band. So when we, when we were playing and like, obviously we didn't start out this large of a number, but, in the 10 year run that I played in, in a cover band, we ended up with over 350 songs in our catalog. Like we had just an insane number of songs that we could play. Yeah. And it was, we can whip out all these Beatles songs cause they're easy to play all the way up to, we had, we had a country set. We had a, you know, cause yep. at any point at any night you play about 45, 50 songs. If you're a standard cover band playing the four hour night, you, you play about 50 songs. And we had enough where we could essentially do seven nights in a row without repeating anything. (laughs) But it was through years of practice. I mean, we practiced hard. We practiced every week and we always came with five new tunes every time we'd get together. And of those five, maybe two would make the list eventually. But, you know, again, when you walk in and you're like, let's play a Bodine song and an Outcast song. And the Outcast song goes away because we can't pull it off, but we can pull off brown eyed girl right like everyone needs to know how to play that song and that allowed us to go from playing essentially a country gig all the way to a rock gig to hey it's a bunch of people at a beer festival and people just want to dance all night great we've got enough tunes that we can do that yeah exactly we never played a bar mitzvah but (laughs) (laughs) we did weddings i mean we did weddings and stuff too and that's where you get wind beneath my wings requested like okay well Mm -hmm. again what makes a great cover band is their song selection. Also, the knowledge to know when you can't play something plays into that. Oh, sure. You know, I can't pull off Bette Midler's Wind Beneath My Wings. I'm only going to disappoint people yeah. if I were to try to have played that song. So let's not even try. True. Yeah, there, there's a number of those things that go into that. And I think that knowing your limitations is very important 
Because the thing is, is there's not a shortage of awesome songs. Right. Like, I know for a fact that there are songs that I have forgotten all about, and then all of a sudden this cover band will play it. And I'm like, oh, that's right, Summer of 69. I love that song. And then Sultans of Swing. Oh, man, I love the Sultans of Swing. And then all of a sudden they're off into, like, I spin you right round, baby, right round. Basically, the Wedding Singer soundtrack just shows up, and you're like, I forgot about all these songs. And I think that's also a key part to going, okay, can we pull it off? Mm, I don't think so. Let's shelve mm-hmm. it, or let's make it a montage of songs that we can put together, and we'll just mash up a bunch of things and, and make it happen. I think one of the biggest things for me to say, man, that cover band is great, is the ability for them to stay tight in their playing and get the tone that's pleasing. Not necessarily the perfect tone. We're not tribute bands, but to get the tone that's pleasing. And this is especially the drums and especially the singer. Notice I didn't mention bass or guitar because those are important, but if the drums aren't tight and the singer can't hit their notes or give the energy... The band's okay. Yeah. I That's literally, I mean, that falls right into my next one. I put vocals, the ability to do the vocals right. Because what's the one thing that everyone in the bar is going to know about Brown Eyed Girl? Yeah, that it, it's the lyric. Sha-la-la, la-la-la-la-la, la-la-la-la-ti-da. When you have to play Sweet Caroline, everyone's going to go, ba-ba-ba, right? And if you, right. Like a sheep. And if you don't, if you don't, Yeah. <laughs> if you don't hit that if you don't nail what the crowd is looking for hands touching hands, hands. Yep. i mean it even goes back to you know again that one thing that every audience is going to notice is the vocal and not just the lead line but to be able to hit a really well-known harmony right like yeah you got to have people who can sing together and and put it out there and one thing that we when we were doing this, like the four of us all had very distinct voices when we sang. So we knew like, Oh, if we're doing a John Cougar Mellencamp song, that's a song that Carl's going to sing. And if we're doing a Bodine song, well, that's Steve's going to sing that one. He's got that same kind of energy, you know, vocally speaking, there's nothing wrong again about making it your own, but I think it's that special sauce of going, this is going to resonate with the audience. Like it did when Brian Adams played summer of 69, right? This is what it's going to sound like. You know, everybody and their brother knows living on a prayer, but even Bon Jovi doesn't sing the whoa O's anymore. He just yeah, right. sticks the microphone out at the crowd, right? Yep. As a cover band, though, how do you pull that off? Because you're not John Bon Jovi. You can't get away with that. You have to figure it out. Right. You got to have that covered, whether it's somebody in a falsetto singing it way off the mic, so it's at least in the PA, or someone who can hit it and just goes for it. But you have to have that authenticity that makes people like the song. Yeah, and I think it's also important to mention that you're not going to try and lead with that song. That's one you do a little bit later on, and you notice people are singing. When you notice people are singing or they're drunk or something, then all of a sudden, you are Bon Jovi up there, and you are pointing the mic at them. And if you start with it or you're at, like, song three, like... I guess another important thing, and of course, this is me thinking that a cover band should be playing at a bar, but... A cover band may also be playing at a coffee shop. And so knowing your venue is pretty important. And although that's kind of off the beaten track of what we're really talking about, I do think that that is really important to make sure that if you are trying to get people to sing along, it's probably not the coffee shop. It's the bar. Or it's the worship service, because this brings up another thing is when I'm defining a cover band, I think that most worship teams in America are cover bands. They're just cover bands of worship songs. Yeah, and that's gotten way more the way it is as worship hymns have gone from being a hymn in a book to something you hear on the radio, right? Right. And I think all of this is applicable to worship teams, because like... If you can't pull off something, you either have to recreate it and make it your own or just not do it, right? Yeah. I've joked about Outcast. I joked about, hey, yeah, we ended up figuring out a way to do it, but we, (laughs) 
we leaned into two things you said. We mashed it up with something else, and I don't remember what that was because this was a long. This was a while ago. Because that song came out in like what two thousand? Yeah, uh, something like anyway. that. Anyway, no, I think it was by Andre two thousand, but it might have come out oh, yeah. at a different time. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> and all joking aside, we leaned into our white boy Wisconsinness. I mean, we literally yes. we leaned into making it funny so people enjoyed singing along with us. And the opposite extreme, obviously, is when you're doing worship, it's you shouldn't make it a joke. But to lean into what your strengths are to make a song your own is completely, in my opinion, is completely acceptable with cover bands. But yeah. you have to maintain the core of the lyric so people know what you're singing. It has to work, right? Like you can't just, you can't make Outcast into a polka, right? I mean, that's too yeah. much. But no. you can white bread it up a little bit and make it fun in a youpery kind of northern Wisconsin way. And people will, will have, have fun with it. So. And I think that's actually an important distinction, too. So when you talk about a band that's just covering songs versus a cover band, a great example of that is the Gourds. Because remember, the Gourds oh, yeah. did Gin and Juice by uh, Snoop Dogg. <laughs> One of the greatest covers of all time. It is. It's a fantastic <laughs> cover. They did an amazing job, but they're not a cover band. Instead, they're like this... I don't know. What are they? Bluegrassy. Bluegrassy. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, they're playing banjos. They're playing a saw. Mandolins and yeah. Yeah. So it's not your normal. And they did an amazing rendition of it that sounds nothing like Snoop Dogg. But they're not a cover band. They're a band covering a song and go, we have a sound. And now we're going to do this song. And that's important to note because the fact is, is that a cover band, for the most part, I feel like should try and do the song like it should be. But there are times where you really do need to go ahead and make it your own and do your own thing. And you know what? Let's shelve that for a second because I I, I want to talk about it, but I don't think we finished this one. So let's finish this part first which is what makes that great cover band and i'm gonna add this one yeah they've got to be fun to watch like the right moves the right energy not necessarily because it's what steven tyler would have done not because it's what you would have seen michael tate or toby Mac doing or whatever but that they just got an energy they're just fun to watch you like to watch the guitar player do his thing the drummer is doing an awesome job of just keeping it tight and moving with it or twirling a stick or whatever. I think that's important too. Yeah, I I agree with you 100% on that. Kind of like going back to what you said about the coffee house versus the bar. And I wrote this down because I'm a production guy, but right-sized production for the venue and right-sized performance for the venue. There are some really great cover bands in in Wisconsin, one of which is uh, Big Mouth and the Power Tool Horn Section. So the band is Big Mouth, and then they'll bring out the power tool horn section Okay, when they do big shows, right? You know, they'll come out as a four-piece, two guitars, bass, and drums when they're playing a bar. Okay. And then if they're playing this outdoor cheese and sausage festival or whatever, they'll bring the horn band, and they'll bring this, and, and you you know, it's scalable. Like, it's up and down. And there's a handful of bands that I know that do that. They'll go play the big outdoor thing, and they'll bring extra people along. So right-sizing your band for the situation, and the opposite of that is I've got a buddy that plays in a band with, uh, you know, it's a five-piece band, and but they'll strip it down to an acoustic guitar and the, and the gal lead singer, and they'll go do these coffee house or these small shows. So right-sizing your band and production for the venue, I think, is a huge cover band do, because I've seen small bands play huge stages, and it just feels empty. And the opposite, I've seen... You know, people try to shove their seven-piece band into the corner of a bar where the drummer's set up on the pool table, and it just doesn't work, right? So you've got to be no. the right size for the right venue and the right band. Yeah, and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to add in there that it also needs to be a band that plays the appropriate volume and listens to each other well enough that they can create the right mix. That is also yeah. important, according to the venue, But I want to circle back to something you said that I feel like just got brushed over. And that is, what is a cheese and sausage festival? Because this sounds (laughs) 
so interesting because you just said, oh, yeah, you go to a cheese and sausage. Okay, I get it. You're from Wisconsin, but I'm from Texas. This is yeah. this is a new thing to me. Like, I guess for us, we would have like a Spurs and Longhorns festival. But tell me about this. Honestly, it, it's like your best. Uh, again, Texas, I would say it's, it's probably like your best uh, PBR rodeo type event. Oh, uh, okay. But specifically in New London, Wisconsin, they have the Cheese and Sausage Festival. Which is exactly what it sounds like. They shut the main drag down. There's food vendors. There's bands. And there's people buying cheese and cheese curds and various levels of smoked sausage. John, we need to be booked at the Cheese and Sausage (laughs) Festival. I I don't care what it takes. I will work for Cheese and Sausage. It's just the way it's going to be. I think Lynn would fit in really well at the Cheese and Sausage Festival. Uh, I've, I've actually done... I ran one of the stages there for quite a long time, and it was definitely a joy of, you know, it was just cover band after cover band is really what it was. But uh, specifically, and there's obviously there's beer, you know, we're in Wisconsin. Yeah, of course. It was a good time. Well, we should probably move on to the next thing. And the next thing, before yeah. we start talking about, well, what kind of song and when to make it your own and everything, since we talked about what makes a great cover band, we might want to go ahead and say, what are some pet peeves we have about cover bands something that might be just a nasty habit that they have or something that is possibly even like bad showmanship in a cover band you know it plays into the uh the arrogance a little bit is my kind of my last thing that, uh, of what makes a great cover band is you need that one person who's really a showman who can get the audience going and can get into that and there's a very fine line between great showmanship and arrogance on stage. Okay. And I've seen it happen both ways. I've seen guys who are way too arrogant who are like, if the crowd doesn't respond, they get mad at the crowd and they get like, oh, how come you uh, smell like a gas leak in here or something? Like, why is nobody, <laughs> why, why are you not entertained by me? I am entertaining. Why are you not entertained? As opposed to a good showman who will continue to work to find what that secret recipe is to get the crowd to be engaged. And I think having played to six people in a bar during a snowstorm to like when you and I played in front of 20,000 people, right? We've been, I've been all over the map and it takes a different level of showmanship to get those six people involved than it is to get a thousand people involved because there's that group mentality of the laughs are easier. The cheers are easier. The clapping's easier when there's a thousand people watching you right? versus when there's six guys on bar stools and you're like, oh, what do you guys want to hear? Like, we'll play whatever. Right. And again, it falls into that arrogance of you can't take it personally if the audience isn't into what you're doing, but a good showman will continue to find out what gets them going. So my biggest pet peeve is is also what makes somebody great, but I think it's it's my number one pet peeve is that over arrogance of the front guy or gal or whoever that person is that has that showmanship. I hate it when I see that happen, you know, almost turning on the audience, you know, you turn on them if they're not doing what you want. Yeah, I would agree with that. And it actually goes with something I decided not to say and what makes a great cover band, which is stage banter. I think stage banter is great working the crowd and it kind of goes with, but the thing that can really kill a cover band is one that the, the stage banter is either, really negative really bad unless of course you're a cover band for like an emo group or something i don't know maybe (laughs) deathcore i don't know (laughs) but the other one is one that talks too much like you're trying to people are there to enjoy their friends enjoy their drinks most of the times they're not coming just because of the cover band they're coming because there is a cover band and they can meet up with their friends so too much talk, terrible sounding talk, even possibly turning on the crowd is one of those things that automatically ruins you. Like, it doesn't matter how yeah. tight you are. It doesn't matter how good your sound is. If you are just a terrible stage banterer, you sh- you're better off shutting up than yeah. saying anything at all. And obviously, there's prime examples of good stage banter, like yeah. of stuff that you always just have to do. Like... It may sound cheesy or feel cheesy, but like thanking the bartenders and encouraging people to tip and 
all that kind of stuff that, yeah. uh, you know, we, we had just did all the time, but programmatically, like we, I mean, you and I do festival work together and we do production and back end stuff now and we live and die by our minute by minutes. Yeah. And if I were to start a cover band today, again, the first thing I would do is program out what songs I'm going to play and program when I'm going to talk about things. Like, yep. you know, we joked about the tribute band and, oh, they learn what he says in between each of the songs. Having that repertoire and having that rehearsed and knowing when you're going to pause and knowing when you're going to say stuff. Yep. Protects you from turning on the crowd. It protects yes. you from putting in that bad stage banter where you want it. We would take two to three songs at a clip and say, I can roll right from Brown Eyed Girl right into Flagpole Sitta, right into, you know, whatever, Spin Doctor or something, right? Like I could play mm-hmm. these three songs back to back to back. And we're going to do that. We're not going to talk to the crowd. We're not going to engage the crowd. They're all dancey. They're all the same tempo. They're all the same vibe. Yep. We get the crowd going. Let's run through these three songs. And then we stop. Okay. Steve's changing his guitar. Carl's tuning. This is where, you know, me as the drummer, this is where I'm going to talk about the bartender. Great. And yeah. then we move on. And, we, you know, this is, and then the next one is Jason, our bass player. This is where Jason gets to thank our regulars that have come out to see us. Yep. You know, like it was in our set list that this is what happens when I, I'm reminded of that set list you wrote for me where it said, like, go sit down. No one needs you uh, <laughs> right. during the lynch set. Um, yeah. Okay. So to quick tell that story, just so that people are on that, is basically Lynn, who is the, the front person. She's the talent. That's what she is. Uh, she actually decided that she would write down all of our set lists for us by hand, which is really nice for her because we have it right in front of us. And there is a certain type of concert where we will show up and we'll play like the first few songs and then we'll just go sit down because she's the talent. Let her do her thing. She has a CD that's called Acoustic Moments. So yes, it's a time to showcase so that that CD can sell more, right? So she writes it out. And since we're only doing the first few songs, she decides to write the entire set list. And I was like, why are we... <laughs> just write it down for John too. And I was like, the whole thing? And she was like, yeah, just write the whole thing. And I went, okay. So I decided to give you cues. And I was like, you're going to play this in the yeah. key of snare. Then yep. you're going to do this. And then you're going to do this. And then it was like, go sit down. And then on the next one, it was like, nope, still don't need you. And then the next one was, if you get up, she will smack you. You know, and it just kind of yeah. <laughs> continued on and on and on. And it is one of her favorite set lists. She has it saved. She shares it on her social media pretty much every year. <laughs> yeah, it was a good time. Well, because we would do multiple events and she would use the same set list. So like the set list would travel and yeah, it would randomly show up on my on my drum set every once in a while. And I yeah. remember the one was like the talent speaks. And then yeah, it's like, go right. sit down, go away. Don't even think about coming back up here. That's right. Uh, so. <laughs> So I'm just sitting on the side of the stage behind the curtain. So I'm glad that you actually brought that up too about, you know, stage banter and making sure that things are scheduled because a huge pet peeve of mine with cover bands is dead space. Oh, yeah. No one says anything. And it's like, yeah, you know that that guitar is going to be changed. You know that the singer needs to take a drink before he all of a sudden starts singing Bon Jovi songs or whatever. You know these things. So why is it that all of a sudden it hits the end of that song and then everyone just kind of stares at each other? Like you got to have something. And then that also includes a breaking of a string, a breaking of a snare head. You got to have at the drop of a hat something that you go and this is now what we're going to talk about i mean there was one night i had the flu not to get into details but if you've ever had the flu things come out of various locations yeah sure does and uh (laughs) i had called the guys and i said guys i'm i i just i'm not gonna be there for load in i'll show up i'll get my drum kit ready to go but this is what's going on and i i literally like threw up behind the bar in the bushes you know before we played which is not uncommon for a bar Right. Uh, but I said, like, guys, literally at any moment, if all of a sudden you turn around and I'm gone, you're going to have to figure something out. And they had a couple of tunes like um, Jack and Diane by John Cougar Mellencamp. They can play that oh, yeah. without me. Right. There's the big drum thing in the middle, but they could just play it without it. 
And we had a handful of those types of, you know, Mr. Big. Uh, what's the, uh, what's the. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm uh, the one who wants to be with you. <laughs> Deep inside, I know you feel you, it yeah, too. You know, so there was a handful of acoustic songs that, yeah, that I didn't need to be on or play. And if like, hey, guys, I'm going to, I got to, I have to go throw up. And, and so I would literally, we would finish a tune and I'd run out you know, either into the bathroom or outside and, and take care of some business yep. and come back in and play. And we never missed a beat. And what's really funny is like the owner of the club who was there the whole night had no idea that that wasn't part of the show. Oh, the drummer's right. taking a break. Okay. You know, there's all those moments where, where you do that. And to your point of, of dead airtime, you just can't, because if you lose the crowd, you have to work so hard to re-engage them yeah. that you just got to keep pulling them back in like you said, you know when guitars need to be changed or you know when tuning has to happen. And yep. But having that in your hip pocket of even the ability to change songs on the fly, we, we used very detailed set lists and said, this is when things are going to happen. But if we had a crowd of people out there dancing and all of a sudden we're going to switch to a song that that doesn't work for, we had to know that, hey, if John goes in and starts playing this other song, we're just going to, that's what we're doing. We're going that direction. Yeah. So. There's definitely that to keep in mind too of watching the crowd and playing off of what they want to do. So, yeah. Another pet peeve of mine is a cover band who decides that they want to play their original and they play oh like four originals in a row. I don't mind you throwing one in. I don't mind you throwing mm-hmm. one in, doing another like six songs and doing another one. But you're a cover band. The point is keeping the party going for the bar owner or for the coffee shop owner or whatever. So you don't want to lull. You want people to go, man, I don't really want to leave. And I think I should have another. Yeah. People who don't, unless you're like a regional success with your original music, no one wants to hear your original song. That's what I wrote down. No one wants to hear your music. So... uh (laughs) Yeah, actually, for those who have not seen Rockstar, that's actually one of the, the yeah. things. Who wants to listen to your crappy originals? <laughs> yeah. And it's not yeah. that they are crappy. It's not that it's a terrible thing. It's just, if you want to do one or two, I actually have zero issues with one or two. It's multiples yeah. in a row because you're a cover band. That's your job. That is the gig. I will tell you that if... I was hired to do blues, but I'm a rock and roll guy. I'm not going to all of a sudden come up with Sweet Child of Mine and start playing because that's not the gig. And if yeah. I'm supposed to be playing country music and then all of a sudden, you know, I go into drop D and I just start playing like Creed. I no, that's not for the whom thing. the bell tolls, you know. Yeah. yeah, that's right. But to your point, though, you could play Sweet Child of Mine. But you play like the Cheryl Crow version, which is that right. bluesy country-ish Very kind of true. vibe. Mm-hmm. And people are going to love that. People are going to respond to that. Strategically placing your originals like at the beginning of a set, because the crowd needs every three songs or so. If you've got a dance floor, a proper dance floor in front of you, people are not going to be on the dance floor the entire night. It's not going to happen. You need to ride the wave of the crowd Bring them out, get them dancing for three or four songs, let them go back, get their drinks, take a minute, you know, maybe do a slower song, maybe do an original uh, and then bring everybody back out, which is really the key to knowing your audience. If you are a true cover band, it is not about you performing. It is about what your audience wants to hear. Right. Whether that's, and, and that goes into mind, we always took requests and we put a price tag on them, whether it was a drink from the bar which bartenders love because then it gets them to buy more stuff. Right. As opposed to just tipping out the band. Some bands do the, you know, we'll play your song for 20 bucks, you know, give me, give me $20 and I'll play wagon wheel all night long. Yeah. Right. Or rawhide. Yeah. Or rawhide. <laughs> uh, but specifically it's have a mechanism to take requests. Cause I think there's gotta be some way for people to go, Hey, I want to hear something by the black crows or I want to hear something by Led Zeppelin. Okay, great. And just know that that's going to happen, whether you know you're a know that whether you're a Steel Dragon tribute band or right. you're a kid in a in a coffee shop, somebody's going to yell out "Freebird" at some point in the somebody's day. Somebody's going to do it. 
And the best thing to do is to be able to start the song and then nobody wants to ever hear you play it again. So, yeah, no, <laughs> best thing to do is to go ahead and say, yeah, I had a bad experience. I'm not going to do it. Sorry. Yeah. If you want to hear <laughs> if you want to hear me talk about that bad experience, you're going to have to go to the bar and you're going to have to go buy or you're going to have to throw 20 bucks in the jar. But I think you're here for the music. Yeah. So my last pet peeve I have of cover bands, and this is actually my pet peeve of all bands, is playing too loud. Just oh yeah, too loud. Because you have to know your venue. So if you are playing at the coffee shop, you're not looking to hit 100 dB. If no. you are playing at the bar, you're not really trying to get over 90. Because you want people to still have conversation. People still talk. If you are now playing the outdoor festival and they're, you're the opening band and you happen to be a cover band as well, well, sure, hit 100 all you want. It's no big deal. But you have to know when too loud is too loud. And there's a number of cover bands that I have gone to see. And it's a room that is you know the size of like most people's living rooms. And they have stacked PA and their amps are dimed. And it's just like, no, I'm sorry. No, I 100%. And that goes into every artist. Like you said, I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're playing covers or your actual, you know, original band or whatever playing to the room is, is huge. And we've, we, I think we talked about that. We've talked about it before. All right. Well, do you have any other pet peeves before we take a break? My last pet peeve is missing vocal parts, and it it plays into what is on the flip side is is lead stuff, but if you don't have people that can harmonize and fill out at least a three-part harmony of a tune that needs to have it, and I'll say that to say there are songs that you don't need harmonies for, even if they're on the record, but there are songs and there are artists who you've just got to hit the, the right vocal parts. And not only that, but lyrics. You've got to either know the lyrics mm-hmm. or it is not uncommon these days for the iPad holder to be on your microphone stand. No. And just have the lyrics in front of you. I mean, I get like bands that don't want to do that and whatever, and that's fine. But people are coming to hear Brown Eyed Girl. And if you screw up the third verse every time you sing it, write the lyrics down, tattoo them on your arm, whatever you got to do. Yeah. So you don't mess it up because. They're singing along with what you're singing. And I mean, I've missed a word here. I've, I've, you know, forgot an intro once or twice, you know, into a tune or just mess. Everyone's human. Everyone messes stuff up. But if, if you don't remember all the lyrics of the songs that you're singing, just get the iPad, get the little holder and yep. go with it because it's not worth it. You know, you're going to disappoint people more than, than, uh, than that. If you, if you don't do, if you don't have it, have the lyrics down. And for the people out there who are saying it is unprofessional to have the iPad sitting there or to have the lyrics right there, then I'm going to let you in on a trade secret. And I'm sorry. I understand, John. You're my boss, and I may not (laughs) really be able to tell this story because you may be like, um, that's going to make a band feel bad. But it's going to make every band feel bad because there's something called a confidence monitor. Yep. And what the confidence monitor has is not audio coming out of it. It's words being scrolled on it. So you can look at any moment while you're doing your show, you're doing your performance, you're trying to do what you can to engage the crowd. If all of a sudden you have a brain fart, you can look down, pick up where you left off and go. And that's super important. And to your point, the big bands, they make them look like wedges they make them look like audio boxes Mm -hmm. and they just have a tv in them yep that's playing the lyrics back and some guys will even put a little fan in there so the guy gets a little air movement yeah but to your point every single artist does that every single headliner has that yes and their stage manager can even like type notes in there like hey there's rain coming you know be prepared or whatever right like i mean there's there they serve more function than just lyrics yes Every single band, every single one has lyrics. Yeah. Every single big artist has lyrics on their on their on their pad. Now, the iPad on the microphone stand is way more obvious. But right. yep. again, it's about knowing your place, right? I'm playing in a bar to a hundred people. If anyone really cares about it, then I wouldn't worry about it. 
<laughs> yeah, that's true. And I have seen the cover band where somebody is like holding their phone while they're singing. And the yep. only time I feel like that part is appropriate is when somebody says, hey, I had a tough time remembering the lyrics last time, so I'm just going to hold this right here and do this song. And then you go, oh, yep, okay. As opposed to every song is them holding their phone in their hand and then occasionally looking. I, I don't like that one. So downtown Nashville on Broadway, there's all these bands that will play. They do the whole put 20 bucks in the jar and we'll play whatever song you want. And they're good enough to pull it off. Yeah. But every single lead singer, you'll see that happen. You'll see them go, hey, we're going to play some random, you know, blues traveler song that somebody requested and paid yep. us for. And every single musician goes to their iPad or their their phone and they push the button to find that song. And then they play because they're just playing yep. off of charts and, you know, they're they're playing and the lead singers making it up as best they can. Mm -hmm. None of that is wrong. None of that. You know, technology is a thing. If you think it's unprofessional to have iPads, you probably don't think it's professional to use in your monitors. I don't know. Uh <laughs> well, this is probably a good time for us to go ahead and take a break for the sponsors. Great. And when we come back, we are going to go ahead and we're going to talk about how does a musician who does cover tunes select the songs? Is it okay to recreate it or should you make it your own? And then just maybe a few essential gear choices. If you are in the cover band, what are kind of the most important things that you need to have? So we'll talk about that yeah. when we come back from our sponsors. If you are looking for a way to help support the Tweed Couch and it costs no money to you, then check out our YouTube channel and become a subscriber. Also, you can tell someone about the podcast and share an episode with them. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support. Who doesn't love a party with a purpose? If you love music, family friendly and camping, then you need to come to LifeFest. In 2023, they will host one of the largest music festivals in the United States in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. I'll see you there. Let's hear from another sponsor. Since 2003, the Kretzmann Guitar Company has been repairing and building guitars. In 2021, Kretzmann started production of a solid body electric guitar with the goal of providing affordable, awesome looking and sounding guitars that anyone, student to expert, would be proud to play and own. Be sure to check them out at KretzmannGuitars.com. Let's hear from our final sponsor. If you like my voice on this podcast, I am using a TechZone Audio Products Stellar X3, and I am honored for the opportunity to represent it. Okay, so let's go ahead and let's answer this question, which is, as a musician in a cover band, how do you select the songs? Like for me, I had already kind of mentioned... I think that top 40 songs are important for it being a cover band that's a good one. And that's where I would start is I would say as a musician and a cover band, when I go to select songs, I just look at top 40 and I look in that genre. Are we playing rock? Great. What's 80s top 40? What's 90s top 40? What's, you know, all those types of things. What's one of yours? Well, I'll throw out and our good friend Jer and I've had this conversation many times and he did it and I've done it in bands. Uh, he plays with your brother, Paul, by the way, That's in, right. uh, in a band. Bingo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they literally go to clubs that you want to play when they don't have bands playing and listen to the music that's on the radio or on their jukebox or on their, oh. their Spotify playlist. Nowadays, we literally would go to these popular places that had bands playing all the time. And we would sit there and we would listen and we'd watch the crowd. Oh, when this song comes on the radio, people go and dance. When this happens, this happens. Much to your point of the top 40, watch the crowd and see what music that's canned that they're, that, that's playing. And we would also, as a sound guy, I, was, I would run sound for other bands too. Yep. I'd listen to them and be like, oh my gosh, they're playing. Oh, they're playing this new song by Nickelback. <laughs> you oh, know? Wow. And it's, People are jamming the floor. Let's put it in the repertoire. We got to do it. Watching other bands, but but specifically listening to the music that's being played in the venues in which you want to play is key to figuring out what the crowd, that particular crowd wants. Yeah, and actually that might be important on making a distinct difference on whether you want to be a cover band 
or you're actually wanting to do your own thing. Because if you listen to Nickelback and you go, I hate Nickelback, I will never play Nickelback, but the crowd loves them some photograph or whatever. Yeah, I think maybe you need to reconsider your job choice. There are no's like we in our band, everyone had a veto power, right? Like if somebody came in and said, oh, my gosh, I want to play the new you know, Nickelback song at any point in time. The other three guys in the band could just say, we're, we're not playing that one. That's just not going to happen. Because right. once again, there are multiple amazing songs out there. So it's not like you have to. Right. Like we never played Sweet Home Alabama. Like we're two guitar, bass and drums, rock band. We could pull it off. It probably would have been great. One of our guitar players is like, I hate that song. I'd never, yeah. ever want to hear that song again. We're not going to play it. And we never did. There's not a single time where we even thought about playing it because it was on a do not playlist for us. Well, he must have been from Birmingham and loved the governor. Boo, boo, boo. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so another reason for selecting a song or how to figure out whether you should select that song is you need to know your abilities. So one oh, yeah. of the things is, is that if you rock like Stevie Ray Vaughan and Jimi Hendrix and you love Stevie Ray Vaughan and Jimi Hendrix tunes, then do it. But you better not mess up because if you're going to try and play Texas Flood or Little Wing and you just dive bomb because you weren't super confident with it, you never should have been playing it to begin with. Especially if you're playing in Austin, Texas. Oh, uh, yeah. You don't, you or don't Seattle. <laughs> you <know? laughs> or Seattle. Yeah. Don't don't play a Hendrix song wrong. Yeah. We always also paid attention to the request list. So like even like Lynn, we, she's got a thing out on her table and you can write songs oh, down. Yeah. Uh, we would do that. We literally had a book, a laminated book that we would leave out, which had all of our songs in it. That's how we knew how many songs we could play. So people could look through it and say like, oh, you guys play this. And then the idea was always that somebody would tip you and they'd want some song and they'd either buy a round of drinks for the band or they would they would tip us cash. But people would constantly be like, hey, I don't see Walk This Way by Aerosmith or whatever. Sure. And if you you start hearing that song on a regular basis of people wanting it, whether it's brand new or old, if people are constantly kind of asking for that type of vibe. The other thing that we always tried to do was make sure that we knew, um, like we didn't know every Nickelback song. We didn't learn all of them, but we knew a Nickelback song. Yeah. So when somebody said, can you play Photograph by Nickelback? No, but we can play, uh, this is how you remind me. And that usually makes it fine, right? So we we kind of picked, and I'm not going to, I'm not slamming Nickelback. They, they had a a formula and it worked and they made a bunch yeah. of money and I really didn't have a problem with Nickelback. So whatever, <laughs> but it's, it's the joke of, Oh, uh, yeah, we hate Nickelback. Cause you're supposed to, you're supposed to, right. But that whole idea is you have something from that artist that maybe somebody likes. We knew an Aerosmith song. We knew an ACDC song. So when the metalhead came in and said, I want to uh, play, play ACDC. We're like, all right, we can play a song. Right. So, right. Because it's dynamite. And, and maybe you learn more over time, but right. <laughs> uh, yeah. But but eventually you should know you should know a song from just about every popular artist. To talk on that, I think that it's also important that you have good genres and good time frames. You know, because there are great yep. songs from the 50s or 60s, you know. Oh, let's learn La Bamba. At least now we know something in a different language. Yeah. Feliz Navidad. No, I'm kidding. But, you know, you get the idea. It's it's one of those that it's like you've got that. So when in doubt, if you're like, I don't even know where to start, a good thing to do is look at the 80s, look at the 90s tune, look at Money for Nothing or Summer of 69 or even like Rick Astley, like never going to give you up. You know, like there are all of I just Rickrolled everyone. I Rickrolled the world. Just at that moment. But anyway, the, the point is, is that like there is there's so many good songs out there. And even like when you go to the 90s, you've got like Wonderwall, Oasis or All Star for um, Smash, Smash Mouth. Mouth. Yeah, that's what it is. Anything. I just want to fly. Sugar Ray. Gin and Juice. Yep. Snoop Dogg. <laughs> you know, <laughs> whatever. Like those are good places to start because you also have to keep in mind, even though. Bruno Mars, Pharrell Williams, those are great ideas. You have to remember the people who are in the bar are older. Maybe the people in the coffee shop are younger. 
So that's also knowing your niche that you're trying to get to. And then you can broaden your niche if you want to. Yeah, I agree completely with that. I think, you know, knowing as you put your band together, um, I want to go back to we had our do not playlist, like stuff that we wouldn't do. Yeah. We didn't know, like we didn't, we couldn't play a single George Strait song. We weren't a country cover band. Right. But we did know some country songs. We played Chicken Fried by uh, Zach Brown Band. Yeah. Like there was some tunes that we knew that are country-ish, right? Country adjacent, maybe. Right. Uh, stuff that rocks a little bit more. And nowadays, country is all, I mean, country's pop now, right? Like, I mean, it's yeah, all. Yeah, to some extent, for sure. But the lines have blurred over what's acceptable and what's not, but or what's country and what's not. But that being said, it's it's definitely, you know, all right, we're not going to play a Hank Williams Jr. song. That's just not us. That's not who we are. Right. You know, but we will learn Beatles. We'll know Beatles tunes. We'll know, you know, Southern rock. Mm-hmm. We will play Give Me Three Steps by Leonard Skinner. We, we won't play Sweet Home Alabama, but we'll play Give right. Me Three Steps. So knowing your genre, knowing what you can obtain, what you can do without embarrassing yourself. Yeah, and I guess that probably leads us into that next question, which is when do you go ahead and try to recreate the song? And when do you go, you know what, I'm just going to have to make this my own because there's no way that Little Wing or Foxy Lady is going to sound like (laughs) Hendrix or whatever. That example is really tough because it's one guitar player, a bass player and a drummer, and it's all about the skill of the guitar player. Yeah. That example there personally for me is it would be challenging because if you can't, if you can't play the riffs like Stevie or Jimmy did, you you have no business even thinking about playing those tunes. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you couldn't make a version of it where that it fits your vibe more, right? Right. Like if you've got a keyboard player and he can and the keyboard player can do a Rhodes thing over the top and kind of make that cool. Like recreating a song, in my opinion, is at any point in time, as a cover band, and this is the difference between a cover band and a tribute band. As a cover band, you are not Leonard Skinnerd. You do not have yeah. three guitar players to yeah. play all the solos. You don't have that. So you do at some level you have to recreate the song that fits what you have. We did a bunch of tunes that were piano driven like we played Saturday by Elton John. Really? And our guitar players just kind of played a riff that filled that piano part out. We would play tunes that were above our pay grade so to speak as far as instrumentation, you know, tunes that had horn parts or whatever, the guitar players would just have to fill out a riff or they'd have to figure out what kind of makes this our version. Or we would just not do that part of the song. Like, what's the tune? Hungry Like a Wolf, Duran Duran. Oh, yeah. There's that weird part where there's all the delay, like the hungry like a wolf, you know, like the dog dog's panting or whatever yeah. in the middle. We just didn't do that part. We're like, right. there's no way two guitars, bass and drums are going to make this sound like anything remotely similar to what it was right so we just came out of that bridge and then right into the chorus again yeah and knowing your your limitations musically and knowing what's going to play to the crowd because we probably could have been panting into the microphones and done something but the audience Please is gonna be like what are they doing <laughs> yeah don't don't do that we just want to sing you know and i'm hungry like the wolf that's all yeah. they want to do that's all they want to do on that yeah, song. it is and some of them probably didn't even notice it was missing. I mean, really, like at the end, yeah. they were like, they played Hungry Like a Wolf, you know, and then they're just like super right. happy. You know, like Dexy's Midnight Runners and Come On Eileen. It's a great tune. It's got this huge violin intro and all that. No, no just just don't do no. like Get we didn't have a violin player. Just you just come in with a dun, 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 dun. We call them fiddle players down here. Oh, fiddle. That's right. It's yeah. a the four string violin. Yeah, it's a mandolin you put under your chin. and you play with a bow yeah that's right yeah so the thing is i feel like if you want to play the song if you're like i want to do a cover of this tune i want to do hold my hand by hootie and the blowfish then try and sound like darius rucker try and play Mm -hmm. it like hootie and the blowfish do it and if it naturally skews to something on its own odds are It was meant to be that way, and you've made it your own. At the same time, if you get done with it and you're like, oh my gosh, we did this so much better. This is the best thing ever. You need to record yourself and then listen back. Oh, yeah. Because sometimes you think it's awesome, and it is not awesome. And there have been times, and okay, so to go back to, I think that worship musicians in church are basically a part of a cover band. There are 
songs that we do at our church that when I hear the song on the radio later, I go, I don't like the way they're doing it. I like the way we do it better. And it's because based on the talent level of the musicians or based on the tones in which we're gotten or whatever, the limitations even, we ended up coming up with something that we made our own and we just do it well. It doesn't mean I'm going to go to Lincoln Brewster and say, hey, so I do your song better. Like, no, that's <laughs> not going to do that. <laughs> but you get the idea. And, and I think that's important is that ultimately if you can't play it right, but you're trying to play it right and you end up coming up with your own thing, I think that's fine. But when you do it too much, it's difficult to call you a true cover band. You're, I don't know what you want to call that. I, is, do you think that there, yeah. if you had to come up with a name for that, someone who instead of being a cover band and try to do it, instead they're going to go ahead and take all the songs and just do it the way they want to do it. Yeah, I think that'd be Taylor Swift's new album, right? Isn't that what she did? No, she did her own songs that way. Like, she just recovered her own songs. She's her own tribute band. She, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, She's it's more like She's Queen. She's herself. She's uh, really oh, new yeah. Queen. <laughs> yeah, the new version with Adam Lambert, where it's, it's yeah, not, right. it doesn't sound like the old version. Nope. It's the new version. No. <laughs> I'm with you on that. I mean, it goes back to, we had our rule where we could veto stuff, but... Every rehearsal, our goal at every rehearsal when we were playing was to bring five new songs to the table. And there were tunes where we really spent time on them going, hey, man, Jason really wants to play the new Hootie and the Blowfish song or whatever. I mean, yeah. And we just couldn't make it work. And then it would always be one of the guitar players or somebody would go, what if we tried it like this? What if we did this and we could yeah. pull this this part of it off? If it, if it works, it works. Great. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. At no point in time did any of us come into the room going, hey, man, I want to play Hungry Like a Wolf, but I want to do it with acoustic guitars, you know, an acoustic 12 string, and we're going to sing it operatically. Right. We never went into the tune thinking we were going to change the way the original did it. We always brought the tunes to the table saying, here's the recorded version of the song. What can we pull off? What can we make it work? And if we can't, then we just shelve it or we'd, we'd come back to it later. or we, It would just disappear off the list. But we always wanted to come at a tune, and sometimes it would happen organically, like we're just kind of messing around with a song going, oh, we can do this, and then, all right, we can only pull off, so the, one of them was Styx, uh, Renegade, yeah, and Come Sail Away. Away with There's me. no pulling off the, Sorry. as a band with just guitar players, there's no way we could do the whole first half of Come Sail Away. No. And there's almost no way that we could do the... And and at the end of the day, Renegade, the whole second half is very keyboard driven. So we actually did the first half of Renegade and then eventually started just going into the Come Sail Away part of yeah. the tune of Come Sail Away. So people would hear Sticks, they'd, they'd see it, but it was a four-piece rock band doing Sticks. Right. And it all came out of the fact that Jason, who's our bass player, could sing all that stuff. And he's like, you know, really, we've got people who want to hear Sticks tunes and we just didn't do any. So we kind of, in rehearsal, we brought these two songs to the table and eventually shoved them together and it worked. We played it for years that way. And oh, yeah. People enjoyed it because you get the two things you want. You get the, oh, mama, I'm in here for my life from the long, whatever, you know, the intro to Renegade. Yep. And then you get the come sail away, come sail away. You know, and so you mm -hmm. get the two beefy parts of the songs and people are happy. And that, that to me yeah. is the end, of, the end of it to go. When should you make it your own if it works? Period. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And you know what? And you also said the the main thing, which was at the end, which was because people leave happy. And ultimately, that's right. your job as the cover band. You're just there to make them happy and sell drinks for the bar or the coffee shop or whatever. So how about we do final thoughts and, uh, and we close this thing out. So... Final thoughts. I'll, I'll go first. So as far as when I look at final thoughts, one of the things that comes to mind is I feel like cover bands are an important part of live music out in the world, partially because we can't afford necessarily or 
we don't want to afford to go to some of these concerts. I mean, I would love to go see the Eagles, but the price of the ticket that I could afford, I'd rather just watch it on YouTube. So with that all said, I think that it's important to have those cover bands so that you can go out, have a wonderful night with your friends, with your spouse, with a stranger, if you really wanted to, and just really enjoy the night because there was live music present. And I think that cover bands are amazing and and they're needed out in the music industry. I can't agree more with you. My final thought for cover bands is all the way back to what we talked about at the beginning. I think there's some arrogance that needs to be there. There's that confidence that you need to have. The best cover bands that I've seen, the front guy has confidence and takes control and will lead the crowd where they need to go. And the worst cover bands I've seen is that front guy who is not confident, but is just over the line with arrogance. It can really ruin the night and really turn a lot of people off. Yeah. I've seen shows go horribly bad because the front guy couldn't play to the room, couldn't take the people to where they need to go. Yeah. And that's what makes good bands bands, right? Good bands, good bands is the front guy, whoever's leading the charge keeps people where they need to be. But, and that goes into what you said about recording yourself. See how it plays. Because yeah. you might be like, this is the greatest thing ever. And you you check the tape and, you know, challenge, check the tape. And it's, yeah. it's just not good, you know? <laughs> I love the imagery. You threw the red flag just at that moment to like, that was awesome. Well, all right. Well, thank you so much, John, for being on here. I love your expertise. I really do appreciate it. And um, you know what? I will be talking to you soon because we have our 100th episode coming. And uh, I need your opinion on a few things. So thanks for being on, John. It's always great to be here. I always leave better than when I came. Therapy's uh, therapy's working. Yes. All right. Till next time. Bye. Later. Bye. Well, that's all the time we have for the Tweet Couch Guitar Therapy Session. If you like what you heard, make sure you leave five stars in a review. Also, be sure to check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And remember, you are your greatest asset. Until next time.